Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts now be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past week while we were gone, we were up in Nebraska, Seward, Nebraska to be exact. Uh, my wife and I met at a Lutheran High School, which is on the campus of Concordia University in Seward. It was Concordia High School, and so she was there celebrating her 50th high school reunion. I was there just kind of as the chauffeur and the bodyguard, I guess, and seeing a few friends of mine. But on Friday morning, I got up uh, before Nancy was ready to go, and I decided to drive to downtown Seward, which is a beautiful little city around the courthouse square. And I knew that there was a coffee shop, not a Starbucks, but there's a coffee shop down on the square. I'd heard about it. It's called JD's Coffee Shop. And I actually figured out that it used to be in the old Stylecraft store where they sold women's clothes. But a nice place. I went and I got my usual drink. And I walked over to a table by the side. I was going to sit down and just drink my coffee, knowing I had a little bit of time before Nancy was ready to go. I happened to look across, and there was a man sitting at the table, and he had a Bible and some paper and another book. And so I just said, excuse me, are you doing Bible study? He said, well, actually, I'm working on a sermon. I said, really? And I said, could I join you? And he said, yeah, come on over. So I went over and I sat down by him. And uh, I asked him who he was. And he said, well, my name is Pastor Matthias. I'm the campus pastor at Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska. I said, well, cool. Uh, I'm Dr. Barry Kolb. I'm uh, a semi-retired pastor from uh, North Richland Hills, Texas. And I said, do you know Jordan Miller? He says, yeah, how do you know Jordan Miller? I said, he's my great nephew. His band is playing at chapel this morning. So that was really cool. Well, he said, normally we have two other guys. And sure enough, two rather young pastors walked in. Uh, They looked barely old enough to be pastors. And the first one introduced himself. And lo and behold, he was the assistant pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Seward, which is where I grew up and was confirmed. The other young pastor said, well, he was a pastor at a place I probably never heard of. Zion in Marysville. And I said, oh, outside of Staplehurst. He goes, yeah. I said, that's where my grandma and grandpa went before the tornado destroyed the farm. So I sat with these four guys and we did sermon preparation for today. Now, interestingly enough, they're following a slightly different series than we are in our readings. We're on series A, which have a little bit longer lessons than do the common lectionary. And so they're only doing part of today's text. And they were having a really difficult time with it, and uh, I was kind of smiling to myself because I already had this sermon written. And I wasn't going to divulge that, but we had a great and wonderful time talking about these stories. Their problem was that they were only using part of the text, and so they couldn't quite figure out how they were going to make this sound like it's got some grace in it. Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the key to this is really understanding that there's a little bit more to the reading that helps you. Now, when the religious leaders came in this story, that's the day that was being talked about, and he told them more parables. They were always challenging Jesus' authority. He responds by telling them three different parables. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, 
and he tells the parable of the wedding banquet. Now, most scholars say that this is, it isn't really one parable, but two, but it doesn't really matter because Matthew tells them all together, if you tie them together from chapter 21 and 22, as if it were all one big story, and that's really how we need to read it, and that helps us understand both the bad news and the good news. Now, there are some aspects of this story, as I read through it, maybe if you've studied it before, that really might not make much sense to you. But those people who heard the story that Jesus told understood quite clearly what he was saying. Actually, these parables, what I read to you, are a warning. They're a warning to all of us who hear it. It's a warning not to miss out on what God has in store for you in the future. Now, the relationship with God, I don't know what you think about that, what the relationship with God is like. I always picture it as a big banquet. In fact, we have communion today in the old liturgy out of the TLH it talked about a foretaste of the feast which is to come. That heaven is a big party. Uh, it is a wonderful, huge celebration. When somebody comes to faith, what does it say? The angels in heaven party down. Now, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like a big party. Now, I know this probably comes as a surprise maybe to a few of you. I don't know. Uh, because over the years, a lot of people pictured the kingdom of heaven kind of like a funeral instead. We kind of gather together and sing mournful songs and have that dipped in vinegar look on our faces. Uh, but, you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And maybe you've met people like that who view the kingdom of God or being in a relationship with God kind of like that. And we all have. But that's not what Jesus wants us to understand. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. It's a banquet because a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, is something really to celebrate. And that's kind of what we're doing today is we're celebrating 50 years of a relationship, a church, and in particular, its people have prayerfully through their relationship with Jesus as God. And so this is a cause for joy and it's happiness in our lives. And it's certainly something you wouldn't want to miss out on. I mean, I don't know very many of you that were just at a party, not interested. Most of us are like, yeah, okay, I'm ready. Uh, but God has invited us to a banquet feast. Not just communion today, but he's really invited us to an entire life of a banquet. The banquet is not merely symbolic of heaven, like we're going to have to wait someday, but it's symbolic of the Christian life here on earth. Uh, he's invited us to a a personal relationship with him that is holy and an empowering relationship with him and with one another. And so he wants our lives as Christians, Christ followers, to be lives of celebration. Uh, and the purpose of this parable, of this group of parables, is to ensure that we actually experience it to the fullest extent. And so there are several things that this parable teaches. We're going to take a closer look. And my, my first point is this. This parable teaches us that there's more than one way to miss God's purposes for your life. This would be an interesting test. This morning. If I had to give you each a piece of paper and say, write down on it what you think God's purpose is for your life. I wonder what you would write. What is God's purpose for your life? Now, this parable says there are at least three ways to miss out on this. Uh, more, in fact, I may put it this way. There's more than one way to reject whatever Jesus wants to do in your life. There's more than one way to reject the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. And that's what we see in this parable. The king prepares a wedding banquet 
for his son, and he invites everybody, which was the custom in that day, and they rejected this offer in three different ways. Some of them, you see, were apathetic. Uh, after the king sent his wonderful invitation, the, the response in verse 5 was, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. I mean, they were apathetic. They didn't care. Party, big deal. I would suggest to you that that's the way some people miss out on God's purpose for their life. They don't hear God's offer because, let's be honest, they don't really listen. Or they don't even put themselves in the position to listen. They're more into work. They're more into their own lives. They're more into accumulating possessions for their own. Uh, They're too apathetic, if you will, too lazy, probably a better word, to ever give serious thought as to what God really wants to do in their lives. So that's one way people rejected the king's invitation. But some of them were hostile. I don't know if this surprised you. Verse 6, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. I mean, can you even imagine this? Can you imagine in this day, if you were to throw a big party and you sent people around to the neighborhood, you sent your kids around in the neighborhood to invite them to a party, and your neighbors took the people you sent and and killed them? You know, I'm going to foot the bill, I'm going to throw a party, and some people heard the offer, rejected it with anger and with violence. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some people who still react that way. When they hear the invitation of God, Whatever it might be in whatever form, they get belligerent. A friend of mine recently told me that one night as he left work, he happened to leave his Bible in the break room. And when he came back the next morning to look for it, he found it in the garbage can. Now, do you think anybody would throw any other book in the garbage can if they saw it laying on a table? I don't know. Probably not. But when some people hear the gospel, they respond with anger They respond with resentment. They cannot stand to hear it. And if you ask me why, I really don't know other than I don't believe God has a hold of their heart. Maybe it's because they one time met a pastor uh, that they didn't like. Maybe it's because they went to a Catholic school and a nun wrapped their knuckles with a a ruler. Maybe it's because they went to church one time and, and people didn't say hi to them or didn't say hi nice enough to them. I mean, it's like, who knows why people act that way? But it's a tragic response because God is offering a life of joy, a life of peace, and some people can only respond with anger. Well, the third group, some are just simply uncooperative. This is the part of the parable that may not seem to make sense to us living in the year 2014, uh, but it sure made sense to the people in Jesus' day. So after people have been brought in from the highways and the byways to attend the banquet, the king saw one man was not wearing wedding clothes. Verse 12, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when you heard that, I don't know, I suppose a long time ago I heard this story for the first time, I kind of went, wow, <laughs> that's cruel. What is this? Let's ask the Lutheran question. What does this mean? So a guy gets invited to a wedding banquet at the last minute, and then he gets tossed out on his ear because he doesn't have a tuxedo on. Now, that hardly seems fair 
And I'll also tell you, and that's hardly the point either. I was once told a long time ago uh, that this passage proves that we are to wear suits to church on Sunday, and if we don't come dressed appropriately, that God doesn't want us there. Well, I, I can give you a Hebrew word for that, hogwash, or if you prefer the Greek, baloney. Uh, that's not the point of this verse at all. So what does this verse actually mean? Well, this is where you've got to back up and see what was going on in the days of Jesus. Most scholars say that at such feasts, when you have a wedding feast, see, this doesn't make sense in our society today, but most of the time you have a wedding. Remember when Jesus went to the wedding at Cana? Wedding clothes were actually provided for the guests. It's kind of like if you go to a really, really, really nice restaurant that has the sign that says, Jacket Required, and you show up and you don't have a jacket so what do they do? They give you one. It's kind of similar to that. So this is not a case of a poor man who did not have nice clothes to wear. It's a case of a proud man who wouldn't show proper respect to the guy who was throwing the party. He came to the banquet, but he was not willing to cooperate. He came, but he wouldn't take off his bib overalls and put on his wedding clothes. He came to the banquet, he was going to enjoy the food, but he wanted really nothing to do with the whole thing. He did not want to commit to the process. Now, does that sound any, what, familiar to what goes on in churches today? I think so. This is how a lot of people actually miss out on God's purpose for their life. They they come to church, they're here every week, but they never really get themselves engaged in God's kingdom. A couple of weeks ago, I told you there are two different kinds of people, pillars and caterpillars. You know, caterpillars just kind of crawl in and just crawl right back out. Pillars come in, stay, and help support the ministry. See, most of the service appearance of life, for some people, is quite respectable. Maybe they even serve on a board or a committee, or maybe they've even got some Christian books laying around and got Christian music in their car, but their hearts are kind of far from God, and they're never really serious enough to be fully committed to what God calls his disciples to be or do. I mean, one of the best examples is when we are told, we're all told to go and make disciples, right? How many have you made lately? Well, that's because we're not always... Fully engaged because why? We think that's what we pay the pastor for. Or that's what we pay missionaries for. But is there somebody in your life, do you have a Peter, a Paul, and a Timothy? Do you have somebody who's a little bit ahead of you that's kind of pulling you along life's journey? Do you have somebody you can walk side by side just kind of like your peer? And do you have a younger person you're trying to raise up in the Lord? Now, I can tell you that the finger points in all directions, and it's not just me pointing at you, it's pointing at myself. Because sometimes we just aren't fully engaged. We kind of pick and choose what we want to do. Sometimes our hearts are far from God. We're never really serious enough to be fully committed. For example, I've been in churches where this happened. One advantage of having a church softball team is that some people will actually get involved with your softball team, and actually, eventually, gain a personal relationship with Jesus. But one of the risks, however, is that some people will just come to play softball, and that's all they want to do. 
Or one advantage of having a really dynamic music ministry, and I've seen this in churches I've pastored before, is that through our praise and worship, many people begin to experience God in a whole new way and really get involved. But one risk is also having people who want to be involved in the music ministry because they just simply like to play music and their commitment goes no further than the one hour they're up there playing a drum or a guitar or playing a saxophone. See, the same could be said for every area of the church. Some people are only here for the potluck or the buffet, but they really don't want to fully cooperate. And I'm saying that goes from the pastor at times down to the pew ploppers or the parishioners. I guess it would be a better word. Sometimes we don't want to really fully commit. We just like to kind of do it at arm's length. Now, today, I don't think that I'm talking to many people who are apathetic, and I certainly hope I'm not talking to any hostile people today who want to ride me out of town on a rail. But I know that I may be talking to some because I feel like I'm in categories three sometime. I really love being at the banquet, but I don't really want to wear the wedding clothes. I want to attend, but sometimes I don't want to cooperate and fully commit as much as people would like me to do. And I just suggest that in doing so, sometimes we reject God's invitation and we possibly miss out on one of the greatest purposes that God might ever have for us. I'll tell you one I had to get over. You might be surprised by this. I mean, I'm basically an introvert. I mean, I could live in a cabin in the woods up in the mountains all by myself and never see people be fine. Uh, Somebody posted something on Facebook this morning and said, my neighbor said hi to me twice this month. It's time to move. I'm almost that. I'm not quite that bad. I just at least nod to my neighbors. Also, if you would have asked me if God would come up and say, Barry, what sort of gift would you like to have? Teaching or standing in front of people would have been the last thing I would have ever chosen. I'd just soon sit in the back and let somebody else do it. Uh, But I had to learn a lesson from God that if I'm going to bless you with a gift, you have a choice. You either waste it or you use it. And guess when you waste it, you can be kind of miserable. But when you use it, you find out, hey, this isn't as bad as you thought. And maybe God had really something good in mind. I mean, just evaluate your attitude. We just take a little attitude adjustment for a while. Symbolically, what does it mean to come to the wedding feast dressed in wedding clothes? Well, it means that you approach God's work in your life with a spirit of reverence. You do it with a spirit of respect. You come with a spirit of cooperation and a spirit of commitment. You say, God, I want to be on your team, and I'm going to be a team player. Now, I don't like joining many different organizations. My second church, big church, one of the perks of my job was a membership in Kiwanis. Now, I've got nothing against Kiwanis, but I didn't want to be standing around flipping pancakes at the Kiwanis pancake breakfast. I didn't want to do some of this stuff, so I just said, I'm not going to be a part of that. It's like if I were to join a health club and say, okay, I'm going to join this health club and pay all my dues, but then I'm going to say, but I don't want to do anything that they're doing in here. It's kind of the same way. We want to be somewhere, but we don't want to be there. See, there's more than one way to miss out on God's purposes for our life, but guess what? There's really only one way to get in. You know, there's only one way to get in that party. It is a full-on, no-holds-barred, sold-out commitment 
to Jesus Christ. And if you're not there, I would just want to urge you to move in that direction. Because there's more than one way to miss God's purpose in your life. And that's the first lesson this story actually teaches us. But here's the second thing. The call of God in your life is not based on your past. And I think this is really good news. It ought to be good news for a lot of people. Uh, The king hosted a banquet, and the people he invited didn't come, so he widens the scope of the invitation. In verses 9 and 10, you see him up there. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets, gathered the people, all they could find, both what? Good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with gas. I hope you got that. He invited the good and the bad. Now, there's an old cliche, and it is kind of important to remember. The church is not a museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. When somebody told me not long ago, I'm not going to come to church because it's just full of hypocrites, my response was, of course it is. I have another response to that, and we always have room for one more. Now, depending on who I'm talking to, I have to choose my answer. But see, when we open our doors, like this, when we open this, the doors of this church 50 years ago, I wasn't here. I was just a young punk kid, uh, just barely out of college, married a year or so. I hope that you didn't say in one way or another, this church is only for holy people, all righteous people. Only good people are allowed in this church and no one else. We don't want anybody else. You know, what? churches open their doors, we say everyone is welcome. It doesn't make any difference who you are. It doesn't make any difference what you did. We will receive you and God will receive you. I've actually had a person in church tell me that we were attracting way too many of the wrong kind of people to our church. And I said, mean like sinners? And he went, yeah. How would you respond to that one? Or maybe some of you are going, well, it makes sense to me. (laughs) Hopefully it doesn't. And I said, you know, see, we had our group of people. We had our 3,000 people on the books already. You know, God forbid new people come in because they might want that seat, John. Or Nancy, you might need to move to the front row. They got our spot. I've had, I've had a woman, already, I'm sitting in church, she came and told me, move. And I was like, what? <laughs> move. <laughs> and my wife said, just move. <laughs> I was, not quite, but like, this was her spot. And God forbid anybody else ever sit there. I understand a little bit what that all means, but on the other hand, it's kind of like saying, you know, really, don't sit here, don't do this, don't do that, don't, 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 don't. Now, teaches us that there's room for everyone. God extends his invitation to people on the highways, the byways, to those whose clothes may not be completely clean. And why is that? It's because God says when you come to the banquet, he'll clean you. I mean, we're not here because we're really cool and dress well and smell good. I mean, we are nothing but poor, miserable sinners, every last one of us. But we are here because we understand as we come and we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will 
not only forgive, but what? Cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Now, I know that virtually every church, maybe even in this church, there's some people who don't come because they say it's too late for them. They're too messed up. God could never have anything to do with me now. Uh, Don't believe that. Don't ever buy into that if anybody tells you that. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. God issues the same invitation, the gospel message, to both the good and the bad. He says, come and party with me. Come and join the celebration. If you're not clean, I can make you clean. If you're not worthy, I can make you worthy. The fact is, none of us are worthy. We all need his grace, and we are here today purely by the grace of God. Fifty years of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. Now, this story teaches one more way to miss out on God's purpose, but there's only one way to get get in on it, and that's that through a complete commitment. It also teaches us that God's call is not based on your past. It's based on his mercy. And so your response to God's call, when God calls in your life, it determines your future. In other words, the ball is in your court. God has called you. God has called you by the gospel. God has He's done things. He's, he's put people in your life to invite you to church, to Bible class, to be in prayer, to be in fellowship. God is, that call is there, tugging in your heart. The ball is there in your court. How are you going to respond? With apathy or with passion? With hostility or with joy? With a non-cooperative attitude or with a no-holds-bar Barred level of commitment. Who's your king? Who's your king? Well, my king is Jesus. And my king, your king, has invited you to his banquet feast. The invitation is being extended. It's extended every every day to all people throughout this world. It doesn't matter about your past. Every last person here today, I guarantee, has a past of one kind or another that you would not want anyone else in this place to know about, including me. We've all got a past. But guess what? That invitation comes to us as well, whether we are good or bad. But what does matter is the future. In some respects, the first 50 years don't matter anymore. Been there, done that, we could have made t-shirts and hand them out today. What matters is now our relationship to God as we move forward. The decisions we make. Now, some of you, I mean, I never want to assume anything. Uh, just well, They say just because you sit in McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. And you can stand in your garage all day, you'll never become a Kia Soul. Uh, So I never assume that everybody who's even in church or in Bible class has ever accepted God's invitation. Uh, But if you never really have and said, God, I want you to take all of me, not just part of me, but all of me, today's as good as any day. And some of you, some of you maybe have been Christians for your entire life. I listened to somebody talk not long ago and they said, you know, I I probably there are very few of you in here could say you've had a relationship with Jesus probably Within the last five or ten years, I'm going, 70 over here. I mean, that's the only thing I've ever known in my whole life. 
is Jesus. But guess what? Even when you're my age, and you've been a Christ follower for many years, you can stand very dangerously close to becoming like the man who came to the banquet, but refused to put on the wedding clothes. Today, really, as we move forward to the next level for this church, is really the next level of commitment even in your life. It's the time to say, God, I don't want to miss out on the purpose for this church. I don't want to miss out on the purpose for my life. Today, I give you my all in all. Now, I'm kind of a bottom, you know, I I, I think look at the bottom line. And the question is, what do you get if you do? I mean, I've had people ask me that. Hey, Pastor, so I, so I sell out. So I, I make a whole all-out commitment to Jesus Christ. What do I get for that? Now, you know what, sadly, a lot of churches give, uh, give you when you make a commitment to their church? You get the right hand of fellowship and the left hand of envelopes. And sometimes you even get the ability to vote when you get to be old enough. There's a whole lot more than that. I, if that's all the church is ever going to give me, sorry, I'm not sure I'd be that interested. I'll tell you what you will get when you make a commitment. You will find that the banquet is better than anything you have ever, ever imagined. The feast is greater than anything you might have guessed. I mean, God does not call you to an ordinary life. God does not call you to a dull life. He does not call you to a persecuted life. God does not call you to an indifferent life. God calls you to a great life. He calls you to a life of celebration in his kingdom. The question is, will you be there? Now, where does that start? How do you get that point? Well, it's as simple as this. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior, or not. At a conference I was at a couple of weeks ago in Katy, Texas, one of the people said that there are essentially three different kinds of people that call themselves Christians today in America. He said, first of all, you've got to remember there's a halo effect. Most people, when you ask people in America whether they're Christians or not, there are a lot of people, there's a certain percentage that just lie because they, they don't want anybody to ask them any more questions. But he said, if you take all the people in America... They claim to be Christians. You can separate them into three groups. Casual, cultural, and committed. Casual are those who can take it or leave it. We might call them what? TCEs, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. Or the hatched, matched, and dispatched crowd. Baptisms, weddings, and funerals. They're here when they feel like it. Some people are cultural Christians. In other words... Hey, I've always gone to church. My grandparents belong to this church. Well, I'm Lutheran, or I'm Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's just part of our culture. And then there's another group that are actually called committed. These are the people where Jesus is all in all. These are the people who have sold out to him. The man who talked about this said, actually, you could probably lump the casual and the cultural kind of into the same group. Because many of them are only there out of habit, but not out of a commitment. How could you possibly tell where you might be in that? I don't know the complete answer, but I'm going to just suggest a couple of things. A number of years ago, when my daughter-in-law's 
father died rather suddenly. I think he was probably in his mid to late 50s. Gone out, mowed the lawn, walked in, sat down in the chair, and died. After the funeral, uh, at some point, our family was sitting around <clears throat> talking about, what would you want on your tombstone? Now, if you live in northern Illinois, the answer is sausage and mushrooms, because that's the tombstone pizza company up there. But what would you want printed on your tombstone? And at one time, I thought, uh, I only wanted three things written there. Worship, Bible study, and prayer. Now, I've since changed that to see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion, which is my personal motto. But how could you possibly tell where you are in relationship to God? I think worship is a good indicator. Are you here worshiping? Are you somewhere worshiping? Uh, Somebody told us recently that they worship in nature. I've heard that before. I worship on the golf course. I worship when I hunt. Okay, but do you really? Or is that just what you're telling me? Worship. Giving him what he is worth. Are you involved in Bible study of some kind, somewhere? In church, out of church? Yeah, I was always really, you know, people sometimes would come up to me and they'd say, Pastor, you know, we've got a lot of people, we've got, for example, a lot of women in women's Bible studies in our church, but we've got a whole bunch of women that are in women's Bible study fellowship over at that church. I go, God bless them. At least they're studying the Bible. And are you a person of prayer? More than, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. A person who takes time to talk to your Heavenly Father. Well, the focus of this message was, what determines your future? Well, very simply, what determines your future is your relationship with Jesus. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, when you realize what he has done for you, that's the justification when God sends his son Jesus to suffer and die for you, so that if you move by the Holy Spirit, accept him, you become one of his. Now comes the sanctified part of life, enjoying the banquet, living it out. In every way. May God bless all of us in this journey. Amen.